Army veteran Nicole Cox left the Safe 401k job to pursue her passion of racing motorcycles and is now the Director of Operations at Moto America. Coming up next on Veteran on the Move. Welcome to Veteran on the Move. If you're a veteran in transition, an entrepreneur wannabe, or someone still stuck in that J-O-B trying to escape, this podcast is dedicated to your success. And now, your host, Joe Crane. At Navy Federal Credit Union, membership is a big deal. Navy Federal will help you save money, make money, and enjoy peace of mind security through personalized, around-the-clock service. Members earn and save an average of $289 more per year just by banking with them. Check them out at NavyFederal.org. All right. Today we're talking with Nicole Cox from Moto America. Nicole, welcome to Veteran on the Move. Really look forward to talking about motorcycles and racing and what you're doing these days. Before we get to doing that, take us back. Tell us about your experience in the, in the Army and the National Guard. Hey, yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, so I joined the National Guard in 2002, and I was still in college at that point. Um, I enlisted and uh, went through basic training in Fort Leonard Wood, and I was NBC at the time, which, of course, switched to Seaburn, but that's nuclear, biological, and yeah. chemical. The cool thing about that for me is that meant I could be at all different types of units. I was in a transportation unit. I was in a regular chemical unit. Um, and then um, in 2008, I was in an aviation unit. Um, we got our orders to deploy, and um, our area of operations was southern Iraq and Kuwait. And um, I knew I didn't want to sit in the supply room. Um, and so I managed to uh, hurry up and finish my degree before I left from Purdue University. And um, uh, so an opportunity came up to board as a Black Hawk gunner. Um, and there was eight spots in the entire battalion, and it was pretty high sought after. And uh, thankfully, somehow I managed to get one of those spots. Um, I think I didn't anticipate the, the negative feeling from the guys around me because I'd never really experienced that before. Um, I'd always kind of been one of the guys anyway, so it was no big deal. Yeah. But they, were, they weren't, weren't happy, um, I think, for a while. Um, but eventually, you know. Was we, it because you beat a couple of them out? couple of the guys that were trying to get the slot and you took slot away from somebody. Yeah. And they, of course, you know, said, Oh, it must've been equal opportunity and, and all this other things. And, <laughs> and it's like, okay guys, you know, um, but eventually it got, it got to the point where, you know, we, they were talking crap around the table and, you know, talking about what they'd say to the girls next door. And I'm like, you wouldn't say that. And it's like, <laughs> well, of course we wouldn't say it in front of a girl. And I'm like, well, what am I? And so I guess at that point I knew we we're all good. Yeah. And so that was, that was a really awesome experience for me. Um, you know, one being able to kind of break down those barriers. Um, although at the time I just wanted to do something cool, you know, right. just didn't want to sit in the supply room, just want to have some fun. Um, but then I came back from the deployment and my original plan was to go to med school, but I really, you know, after you're making decent deployment money, going back to making nothing just didn't seem that good to me. Yeah. Um, and there was another chance to deploy um, on the border, um, working on the border between Mexico and the United States. Uh -huh. And I have to say that that was probably one of the most fun missions I've ever had. So as the well. GTF six mission. Um, yes. Yes. Yeah. It was awesome. Did, did um, three of those back in the nineties. <laughs> yeah. 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 And 
so, you know, when we got there, it was, and this is just kind of how I am. I, I want to change things. I want to make things better. I want to push the limits. When I got there, you know, my soldiers were standing on a, on a hilltop and if they didn't have a scope, they still stay on the same hilltop. And it's like, well, you can't see with a flare. What are we doing? And so I kind of managed to befriend one of the border patrol supervisors and show that we were capable of so much more than what they were having us do. And, um, able to integrate us a lot more. Um, I think we ended up accounting for 25% of total station apprehensions, my, you know, my team. So mm. I was super proud of them for that. And they were all, um, you know, very happy to help. Um, of course we weren't in a hands-on role because that would be a little controversial to have militarized yeah. troops at the border. So we were, you know, thing, you know, <laughs> we were, um, you know, just walking people in, you know, using scopes and flares and, mm. and, and other, um, imaging technologies. Um, but that was a great mission. Um, loved it. And unfortunately all good things have to come to an end. And that one did. Um, and so at that point I had to figure out what to do. And now I was, I guess, four years out of college, um, and had no real experience in the workforce other than the military. And, uh, my degree from Purdue was in neuroscience. And so trying to bridge that, um, I became an operations NCO. And so I kind of went down that operations lane. Um, you know, that's what I had done with the border patrol mission as I had, you know, changed our TTPs and, and, you know, managed to integrate us really well, um, within that, the border patrol t- frame. Um, and so I looked into, um, finding a job in biotech, uh, San Diego was a hotbed for biotech. And so that seemed like a good fit. And I went over there and um, started helping them implement um, automation machines, uh, which totally worked with the with the operations and making SOPs and kind of the the really regimented way that the military does things with a clinical lab that fits in just absolutely perfect. Um, and I loved it. I enjoyed it. It was great until we were bought out by a much bigger company. And they started taking away weekends and wanting us to, you know, 24 hours a day. And I had a, a pretty bad racing habit at, this, at the time. <laughs> um, and I do road racing, which is what you see with the guys, the knees on the ground. So talk and about the, talk about the road racing. Like how long, did, how long have you been involved in motorcycles and racing bikes? Um, I got my first motorcycle in 2008. So that was before the deployment and before I knew I was going to deploy because a friend of mine told me that I wasn't going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I bought a motorcycle in January in Indiana, going to Purdue at the time. So you can tell how, how smart I was, I guess. <laughs> and um, I, because I had nowhere to ride because it was snowing, I trailered it down to Bike Week in Daytona and I watched the uh, 2008 Daytona 200. And that was like my first, um, you know, my first exposure to new motorcycle racing and, and this awesome thing. And so that kind of got the ball rolling. I, I rode to a track day, which is just like a practice day to see what it was about. And the track day company, which is sport bike track time kind of forced me to get on the track. Mm-hmm. And, um, so once I got on the track, it was over, you know, the competitive nature just took over and I said, I want to race. Really? And so I ended up building a bike while I was deployed. Obviously I wasn't physically building it. I was having it built back home, yeah. um, for racing. And so when I left, 
I had had, you know, eight months experience on a motorcycle on the track. And then I took a year off. And then I think I got back November 10th. And my first race was like November 17th. So, you know, I had just a few days to remind myself, you know, brake clutch gas, and then I was back to racing. So that, that was in, um, the beginning of 2010, end of 2009. Mm -hmm. So it's been 10, 11 years now. Wow. So you started, I mean, you were already in college by the time you ever really got into yeah. your first motorcycle, huh? Yeah. Wow. I used my student loan money. Wouldn't like, um, <laughs> which, Hey, worked out because now what I'm actually getting paid in is motorcycling. So it's a total good use of student loan money in my mind. Yeah. That's <laughs> awesome. Well, Hey, Nicole, uh, we're going to take a quick break and when we come back. We're going to talk about what you're actually doing in motorcycles these days in Moto America. So hold on. We'll be right back. Did you know that Navy Federal Credit Union's average credit card APR is 3% lower than the industry average and members earn and save more a year, an average of $289 more just by banking with Navy Federal Credit Union? Here's how. Members can choose products with lower no fees, like one of their free checking accounts. Members earn up to two times more with a Navy Federal savings account thanks to savings rates that are twice the industry average. Navy Federal also helps members save on their next new or used auto loan with their great low rates. Whether it's your first car or your dream car, Navy Federal is there to guide you into finding a comfortable monthly payment you can afford. Plus, they have military discounts. Apply online or via their mobile app and get a decision in seconds. When you're a Navy Federal member, the more you're in, the more you win. To learn about all the ways to earn and save, visit NavyFederal.org. Insured by NCUA, dollar values based on 2018 study by Navy Federal. Okay, we're back talking with Nicole Cox from uh, Moto America and Army Veteran. So, Nicole, um, you were talking uh, before the break, you were talking about working for a biotech company there in Southern California, and, and your company got bought out, and things were starting to go downhill because of the buyout. Um, so go back and touch on that and uh, what ended up happening uh, with your at, working at the biotech company. So when they started messing with our weekends off, it it really hurt my – I guess my happiness at the position. Um, but I had a good job. It was a good 401k. You know, it made a lot of sense to stay there. Um, but as I got increasingly unhappy and wasn't able to race, um, a local club race organization offered me a job as a contractor. And I knew that this was going to be a risk. I knew that once the season was over, he wasn't going to pay me anymore. Um, he of course said that wasn't the case, but um, and I, I, I really struggled with leaving the security of this 401k company, but, um, a good friend of mine, Sophia, she said to me, she's like, look, you can be in a big company and think that you're secure, but then the next day you walk in and you and 30 of your best friends are kicked out the door and you yep. have no idea. You know, she says, yes, it's a risk, but it's a risk that you know about and you can prepare for the end of the season. She's mm -hmm. like, you know, take the risk and that's, you know, chase, you know, chase the dream, not the money, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, so that's, that's what I did. I went into awesome. um, working for a local club race organization and managed to increase their ridership and um, make a lot of great changes there. And somehow, just over this crazy stroke of luck, um, these four gentlemen uh, were taking over American Road Racing. American Road Racing was in a pretty, pretty dire state with um, the recession and, um, you know, some mismanagement in the past. Um, or perceived mismanagement. <laughs> um, you never really know the full story, right? Yeah. So, um, 
thankfully just happened at the same time. Um, they bought the rights in, um, 2014, September. And that was about the time that, you know, I lost my contract. And so, um, with the, with the jobs that I had done and and the people that I had met, I was able to get my resume in front of Moto America and then went, you know, back into a 401k company and, you know, a good, um, a good stable position. So I just would encourage everybody, you know, chase your dream, you know, see, see what you can do. I mean, take the risk if you're in, in a place that you can take the risk, you know, obviously you'll lose your house to your family. That's a, that's another <laughs> thing, but I was lucky I was single yeah. and, uh, didn't have a whole lot of financial responsibilities. So at the time I was, I was able to, to make, take advantage of that. And now right. six years later, I own my own home, uh, myself. Uh, I am the only person on that loan. And, you know, I am, you know, very financially secure and doing something that I absolutely love. Yeah, could you imagine if like things might have barely worked out as a biotech company and you're still back there working for them? Yeah, it's just, you know, my life would be completely different. And, um, you know, I'm sure I would make the best of it either way. But yeah, it's just, you know, to think that I wouldn't be sitting here is is a crazy thought. Where's Moto America headquartered at? It's in Irvine, California. Uh-huh. So I had to move from San Diego back up to LA, which was, was fine for me. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, thankfully it was still in California. I think I might have, thought twice if it was in Ohio or <laughs> back Michigan, in Indiana. But yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's headquartered there and, um, the four gentlemen that run it are, you know, just awesome guys. Uh, one of them, if you're a motorcycle fan, you absolutely know Wayne Rainey, um, legend. Um, and he is the president of the company and just a great guy to work with and somebody who really absolutely loves the sport. Um, and then my direct boss, Chuck Axland, um, his family has a really long history in motorsports and he actually came from running the circuit of the Americas. So, um, a lot of, a lot of knowledge. Cool. Are you still, so you're, you're director of operations for Moto America mm-hmm. now. And so what's, yeah. what's your primary job duties? Um, what, what, what keeps you busy? Um, I, I like to say that I'm an operation, so everything's my fault. <laughs> um, if everything goes well, you don't hear anything, but yeah. if everything's not going well, you hear it all. Um, I touch a little bit of everything for the company from, um, operations on the, the fan side to operations on the competition side. Um, I help, um, kind of keep everybody together with, you know, the rule book. Um, I, I oversee, um, pretty much all the departments on the the competition side, tech, timing and scoring, registration, um, paddock, uh, you know, there, there really isn't a part of the event that I don't touch somehow. Do you still get a chance um, to race bikes yourself? I do not professionally, which is probably good. I just do it to waste time and money. <laughs> um, but at the moment I'm taking a little bit of break from racing because I am six months pregnant. Oh, really? Congratulations. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, thanks. So, uh, dealing with that and all of these responsibilities. And then of course, you know, uh, COVID, um, unfortunately moved our schedule. So now probably our two most important events and the events that I fought the hardest for, mm. which one is us at the brickyard, um, which me being from Indiana was a huge, a huge thing, yeah. you know, it's hollow ground there. Right. Oh yeah. I've been in the Indy uh, 500 a couple of times. I'm from Indiana originally. My whole family awesome. is. Yeah. Yeah. So now they, they actually sandwich my due date. <laughs> so I have a feeling my doctor is going to want to fire me once I tell her that, you know, I am going to travel, <laughs> um, but cause I want to be there. So, um, but yeah, I, you know, it started out, you know, just on the race operation side. And then, you know, as the company's grown, um, I've grown with it, uh, to a new position. 
Yeah, so the Brickyard 500, you guys are actually able to do, are going to be able to do that event this year if, so, if things open back up like they're hoping to? Okay, so we've actually already had our first event. We had it in um, Road America, which is in Wisconsin, uh-huh. and we had it without spectators. Mm-hmm. We have our next event, um, June 26th to the 28th at Road America, again, with spectators. We'll have a lot of controls in place and, and a lot of things to keep the riders safe. And of course it's a 600 acre facility. So there's a lot of place for social distancing for the fans and everybody to, to spread apart. So we think we can do this safely. And of course that managed to usher in a, um, uh, opening for us on Fox sports one. We're normally on Fox sports two. So that's been a big break for us and all of the, the teams that are, are working to try to rebuild our industry, um, and really kind of helped our viewership. Cool. So, if um, we do have a date in October, we're, we're scheduled to um, race in Indy October 7th, I believe is the date. Um, it's obviously a separate event from um, Indy 500 or the Brickyard. The Brickyard mm-hmm. is going to be run on July 4th, and they're actually going to run it without spectators. Okay. Um, the Indy 500 is currently scheduled for the end of August. Yeah. Um. Yeah, because uh, I mean, I, I grew up listening to the Indy Five Hundred every every year on Memorial, Memorial Day, Day weekend, and um, yeah. it was really weird to be like at the lake on Memorial Day weekend and not have the Indy Five Hundred on. So, yeah. um, well, it's cool that they're going to be able to get it by the end of the summer. It, yeah, we actually had to give up the, our date for them to move to that August date. So, oh, really? hopefully, it happens for them then. Knock on wood. <laughs> yeah, and so um, Moto America essentially is just promoting. Um, uh, motorcycle racing in, in, mm-hmm. in essence. Um, and you have several events that, that are actually your events or do you, or do you sponsor current events that are already going so, on? So we are the promoter and they're, um, mostly our events. We do have some co-promoted events. Um, but for the most part, they're events that we self-promote. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have 10 races a year and all 10 of them are three day weekends. So practice starts on Friday. Then we have double header Saturday and Sunday. Uh-huh. Um, which is a, it's a really fun thing for people to come out. Um, they can't, um, tailgate, watch the races. Um, you know, there's a lot of live entertainment. We work out and have a carnival every time with free games for the kids. Um, always try to keep, keep it really family oriented. Mm -hmm. Um, so can you give me a little, like, can you give me some inside scoop on the world of motorcycle racing? Like, uh, like some of the professionals, like, like Moto America, like, like what's your main source of revenue? Is is it ticket sales or is it uh, television sponsorships, that kind of thing? Just kind of curious how the business model of Moto America works. So we work on ticket sales and then also TV ads and sponsorships. Um, so the teams also work on sponsorships, but, um, you know, they're, they're relying on us to guarantee that they have coverage. So mm-hmm. that's been a big thing and a big change for Moto America in 2014, when we took over the series there, we, um, American racing wasn't on any channel. Um, they were only available through fans choice, which was like a proprietary streaming. Yeah. Um, it was free, I believe. So, so cause it, it's an okay thing. Um, but to reach outside of our, like our small motorcycle community, you have to be on network television. Right. And so that was a push for us. Last year, we were on Fox Sports 2, which is a very well broadcasted. Um, I think it reaches 60% of um, Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
with what's going on right now and everything else shut down, um, you know, we've seen our viewership just go absolutely through the roof because people are clamoring for any sort of live content. Um, I can't say what ticket sales are going to look like now. Um, (laughs) we don't know yet because we haven't had our first event. Um, you know, ask me in a couple of weeks and, and we'll let you know, uh, we're just trying to make sure that everyone understands that, you know, these races are held safely and, um, you know, it's really not hugely different than you go into the, to a campground and, um, just a lot better sights and sounds and some more fun things to do. Yeah. So as director of operations, are you, do you spend a lot of time promoting with the, the television, uh, networks and that kind of thing? Or is that a different department? That's a different department. Um, it's pretty much my job to put on the show, okay. make sure the show runs on time. What I coordinate most with TV is the scheduling. Uh, making sure that, you know, if we do have a stoppage or a delay or an issue, we still fit within our TV window. Mm-hmm. Um, but our sales and marketing side does all the promotions. Okay. And so, um, so as far as motorcycle racing goes, like what about some of the, some of the professionals that actually race in these races are, are they doing quite well with, with their, cause I imagine they all, they make all their money through sponsorships or what's what's the payout if they win the race? Um, and you know, most of their money is probably coming from sponsorships to sponsor the, the bike and everything else, kind of like, you know, NASCAR and everything. Um, can you talk a little bit about that side of it? So their sponsorship deals, I don't know a whole lot about, right. Cause obviously that's proprietary to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do offer, we do have a total of $6.3 million on the table um, mm-hmm. in all classes between us and then manufacturer contingency. And then in our superbike class, I believe there's over $3 million between purse and manufacturer contingency that's available. Um, so, you know, if you happen to win both superbike races um, and, you know, then you're, you're walking away probably easily with 15 K um, just depending on what manufacturer you're on. Mm-hmm. So not, a, not a bad payday, um, but obviously they, they get additional support through their sponsors. Yeah. I'm sure most, I'm sure most of the revenue with, if you're a racer themselves comes from sponsors. I mean, it's, it's always been. And one of the cool things that some guys have been doing lately, um, Westby and Kyle Wyman do this is they do a little bit of a crowdfunding where people are part of their, like they call it the Kyle Wyman army. Um, it's like a Westby crew and they, it's a lot of smaller donors who then get the ability to come and watch from their pits and enjoy their hospitality or they get their names on their bikes. So that kind of, GoFundMe crowdsourcing thing has definitely um, helped our industry as well. Yeah. You know, I have to say, I've, I've never actually been to a, a motorcycle, like a street bike type race like this. Um, how many events did you say you were doing this year? 10. And what are some of the main locations or the, what are some of the big ones? So um, probably our two biggest ones are Indy and Laguna. Um, so Indy is obviously in Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And then Laguna is in Monterey, California. Uh-huh. Um, but we also have races in Atlanta at road Atlanta and in Birmingham in New Jersey, uh, Pittsburgh, kind of all over, all over the United States with a, a brand new venue as well in, um, near Seattle, um, called the Ridge. So that'll be our first trip. And I think, gosh, the first trip for professional racing, you know, in at least the last 20 years, um, to the Pacific Northwest. So we're excited about that too. Oh, no kidding. So really just in the last couple of years, you guys have made big headway in, mm-hmm. in, in, in the racing. Cause yeah. I, I've seen street bike racing, um, in the past, but usually it's probably like on a highlight or something. Um, you know, cause I don't think I've ever actually watched one on TV. So 
just in the last couple of years, you, you, when you got to Fox Sports 2, that was like the first time you're actually live on, on television. Is that what you'd say? So the years before we were on BN, um, which uh-huh. was a good deal at first because MotoGP was on BN, but unfortunately BN started having some issues with cable providers. So then our viewership went down and that's when we switched over to, to Fox. Yeah. Um, but the first year that we had it in 2015, we were only able to broker a tape delayed deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had to do live streaming, but since 2015, we have, um, had live TV, um, and which is a big difference from when we brought it in 2014, when they had no live TV and I believe they only had six events. So we went from six to nine and now to 10, I could see us expanding a little bit further, you know, maybe to 12, um, a couple years down the road, just mm-hmm. seeing how the economy rebounds and obviously how we come out of the pandemic and everything else. Yeah. So is there a plan? Um, and I'm, I'm kind of asking just, uh, what you guys are thinking, cause we're kind of curious about what's going to happen with major league baseball and everything else. Is there, is there a plan when to open it up to spectators at some time at the end of the summer or this fall? Uh, actually at the end of this month, June 26th through the 28th in Wisconsin. Okay. And is it just full blown open to spectators or is it like an every other seat thing? Like you're doing on the airlines? So we don't, I mean, you don't really watch motorcycle racing from grandstands in the United States. You know, it's a lot of watching from Hills. It's a lot of, I mean, there are a few grandstands, but for the most part, those aren't the best places to sit and watch. Sure. So people bring out their easy ups, they get their camp chairs, they got the cooler and they, you know, they sit in their own space. So, uh, you know, when you've got a 600 acre facility, which road America has, then you have a great ability, social distance. And, um, what you know, kind of track have, is it? Is, is it not just a, a an oval or circular track? It's no, more like a, a cross country road course. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. So that makes yeah. total sense. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, you know, it's not like, it's not like a stadium sport, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's the track is actually a four mile track. Okay. So wow. there's plenty yeah. of space for, for everyone to, um, to spread out. Um, and so we believe that, that, yeah, we can do this safely and, and hopefully everyone comes out and enjoys it. And, um, you know, they can, they can partake as they feel comfortable. You know, we, we have camping spots that have plenty of space between them. You know, they can set up their easy up, like I said, you know, take their own little Island or they can join and and go down to the paddock. We will have the paddock open, Mm -hmm. um, with some precautions. We've reimagined the paddock and how it's set up so that we have, I gave it an extra 60,000 square feet of space for walking, for walking traffic mm-hmm. in the paddock. So that way, normally we actually like have it a little closed off so that it's packed and that's fun, but obviously new world. Yeah. Um, so with an extra 60,000 square feet, I really think that, you know, people come down to the paddock and see what's going on and do it safely and um, get to know our riders and, and our sport. Awesome. Well, Nicole, we're kind of getting close to the end of our time here. I do want to talk uh, like specifics about Moto America. So if somebody's interested in what the race schedule is and where the locations are, or how do we, how do we find Moto America and uh, get on, can we can actually get on a list if we go to your website or um, what's the best things you recommend to do? Yeah. So if you go to MotoAmerica.com, mm-hmm. um, then there's just a ton of information available there. You can buy tickets from there. Um, you can sign up for our live stream service from there. And then you can also, you know, like us on Facebook, like us on Instagram. We send out tune in alerts. Um, we do have a big announcement coming out this week about our TV package on the June 26th to the 28th um, window. So mm-hmm. if they go and, and like us on Facebook or like us on Instagram, you know, uh, Moto America and at Moto America, uh, they'll find out about that. And um, 
I think you'll find that we're going to be a lot more accessible this year um, for people to get to know us. Great. Okay. One last thing. Um, you know, you took a chance, you walked away from corporate America, the 401k job. Uh, what kind of advice would you have if you're talking to somebody who's still in the military on their way out, getting through, going through a transition, questioning whether they should, you know, go for, go for chasing the dream, running their own business, whatever it may be versus going and getting the safe, steady job. Um, I, you know, I, I, I always, I always believe it. I know it's a song lyric, but chase after the dream. Don't chase after the money, you know, really your experience in the military, um, has given you so much, you know, strength and fortitude and experience that regular people really don't have, you know, your ability to work through things and to take risks, um, is just, is a step above what most people in the United States have dealt with. So, you know, take that risk, you know, take it and, and you never know where you're going to end up. Awesome. Great advice. Well, Hey, Nicole, uh, we look forward to your future success at uh, Motor America and looking forward to seeing some racing. When next time I, next time I hear a race coming on, I'll definitely be paying attention. Um, And uh, I was down, we were down at bike week a year ago in Daytona. We have a, we just got a place down there. So I can certainly, if you, if you ever think you might have the fever for getting a motorcycle, go to bike week and you'll be wanting to get a motorcycle. So <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> that experience. All right. Well, appreciate you being here and uh, stay in touch and, uh, and good luck to you. Yeah. Thanks so much. All right. You bet. All right. These two veterans are Oscar Mike. Thank you for listening to veteran on the move, your pathfinder to freedom. If you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews are always greatly appreciated. So until next time, this veteran is Oscar Mike.